You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. I had hoped I was going to speak to Hannah Myers on Saturday morning on CNN. Then came the arraignment of the Crumley parents in Michigan, the case we were just discussing. And I never got to have the dialogue with Hannah Myers that I wanted to have, which was on the issue of whether there's any causal connection between the rise of so-called progressive prosecutors across the country and crime spikes. This is Hannah Myers. She is the director of Policing and Public Safety Initiative at the Manhattan Institute. Hannah, thanks so much for being here. I know you have an interesting background. Can I tell you what part of your your CV most interests me? Please. She holds an MA in International Relations from Yale University, for which she performed research embedded with British law enforcement. What's that all about? Um, I was very interested in in radicalization uh, toward terrorism and an anti-radicalization program and how effective they actually were in preventing terrorism. Um, And there was a a jurisdiction in in Bristol in the UK where they had actually successfully um, caught a would-be suicide bomber. And uh, so I spent time looking at how they uh, the, the prevent is what the program over there was called. Um, and, and how effective it was. And actually it, it, it caused a lot of unintended negative consequences that, um, the police and local activists and community groups were, were really upset about, which, um, actually led into one of my, my greater interests in policing and looking at, well, what are unintended consequences of policies? How do we make sure we have the right ones, uh, in effect? Well, that's a really great lead into the conversation that I want to have with you now. What, what I was going to do on Saturday was to open the segment by talking about an incident that caused the death, the killing of a Temple University student in my hometown of Philadelphia last weekend. His name, Samuel Collington, shot and killed during a carjacking. Turns out that the suspect, according to the local media accounts, had been in custody earlier this year in connection with a gunpoint carjacking, released on house arrest, charges then later withdrawn when a witness failed right. to show in court. Law enforcement sources said that he's under investigation in connection with several armed robberies in the area. And you know that's just one of many instances, the so-called Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, another right. where a guy was accused of intentionally driving his SUV into that Christmas parade. And it turns out that less than two weeks previous, a progressive district attorney had allowed a very low bail for him. I mean, I could go on with examples of this Mm -hmm. all across the country. What I most want to ask you is this. I am from an era where the way you were elected district attorney was to 
thump on your chest and promise to throw away the key. What has happened? That is a great question. And I think people have lost sight of the fact that what we elect prosecutors to do is to represent the people against criminals and keep us safe. And, um, you know, that the, the theory that the approach that progressive prosecutors have is one of trying to limit convictions of um, decriminalizing a lot of offenses, which range from um, firearm possession and selling narcotics and prostitution and traffic violations and, and a whole slew of other things and um, trying as hard as possible to avoid imposing bail and to uh, have as few people incarcerated as possible. Um, and, and I think part of the problem is that the approach is no longer focused on keeping people safe, but rather trying to right perceived social wrongs or historic racial inequities or a whole slew of other things that are really outside of the mandate. Um, and part of what has so fueled their rise to prominence and why they can be in so many really significant jurisdictions around the country, despite an increasingly horrific track record on a slew of different metrics, is that um, some very big funders, George Soros uh, in particular, have realized that when you can't change laws that legislatures have passed, uh, you know, about crimes, but you feel that that's not how the how the world should be. If you can fund a progressive prosecutor, you it doesn't matter what the law is because he or she can decide in his jurisdiction or her jurisdiction that um, they're just not going to prosecute the, those laws. Um, and these tend to be elections that people don't really vote in, especially the people who are most impacted by violent crime, you know, poorer people, um, people who live in black communities that are very vulnerable. They tend not to vote in uh, for prosecutors or to be as aware of the the issues at play. So that is why I think so many have have come to prominence without uh, the appropriate amount of scrutiny at, at the result. So everything that you've just said makes sense to me. In Philadelphia, we have one of the most high profile of these this new breed of progressive prosecutor in Larry Krasner. And I feel obligated to point out to a a national audience. He was just challenged in a Democratic primary and he was successful. And the margin was not as close as many of us even thought it would be. Larry was uh, Larry Krasner was was uh, overwhelmingly reelected. And of course, in the general election, Mm -hmm. given the imbalance in registration, there's really not even an election. He he did so right. largely. With a very small turnout. Sorry. Yes. No. No. You're 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 right. But he did. Yeah. He, but he was reelected largely based, I would argue, on the strength of his showing in the minority community. And you just made the point, Hannah, that the community often most victimized is the minority community. So the question I'm asking, I mm-hmm. guess, now is: Will this sure. pendulum swing? I think eventually it will swing um, because I think a lot of what we're seeing in the push against um, rule of law, the push against law enforcement is the result of the success in the modernization of law enforcement over the last three decades, where people just forget what it feels like to live with dangerousness, to live in neighborhoods that are scuzzy, where people get murdered a lot. Um, And it's sad to say, but I think we sort of reached a point where people took it for granted, uh, a, a significant amount of safety and of quality of life. Um, and and eventually, I think, the pendulum will turn. Um, 
And I think part of it is a kind of myopic viewpoint of of how criminal justice works, the idea that you can elect progressive prosecutors and they'll look at, you know, the the disproportionate rates at which um, black people are convicted, uh, arrested for, convicted of, incarcerated for violent crimes without looking at the broader um, uh, rates of crime commission disparities between different racial groups and also without looking at kind of the broader picture of how prosecution fits together with policing. So, you know, for instance, in, in Philadelphia, you, as you mentioned, you know, you're, this year you're, you're breaking homicide rates at over 512 um, homicides. And the conviction rates are also uh, really important. So, like Larry Krasner in his first two years in office uh, had 47% of the illegal firearms cases he lost or dropped, which for perspective is 42% higher than his predecessor, Seth Williams. Um, and, and I think he might say that's great, you know, where that, that I have so many fewer convictions because that is part of the ideology of progressive prosecution. But if you think about it, not only were offenders released um, because they weren't convicted for these crimes, but criminals are aware of these trends and they see well, that's, that. OK, that's what I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you, because, for example, in California right now, the felony prosecution for whatever we are going to call these retail thefts. I don't care if you call them looting, smash and grab, orchestrated, whatever it is, doesn't kick in until it's nine hundred and fifty dollars. And I've been having this conversation both professionally on these platforms where I have access and just in my own life and and talking to people about, do the criminals know I can steal this blouse or that jacket because the sticker price is less than nine fifty? Absolutely. I mean, you know, criminals aren't idiots across the board, you know, and one other another metric that you can look at to see how well is a prosecutor doing for their jurisdiction is to look at um, arrest and clearance rates for um, for policing. So in in Chesapeake in San Francisco, right, he came into office beginning of 2020. Well, the previous year for all shoplifting reports, the police, 40% of those reports made an arrest. This year, it's 19% of shoplifting reports is there an arrest. And, and that cuts both ways. It's both because the police know that they're not these, they can make the arrest, but the person's going to be let right back out. He's not going to be prosecuted. So there's a big drop off in policing. And simultaneously, shoplifting has gone up 500 percent in san francisco which is which is kind of mind-blowing hannah Um, when when there's a case like there was in philadelphia a week ago with this this poor temple university student and then you find out that very uh uh, just prior to this incident he'd been let out after a similar type offense i clearly can see a causal connection here's someone who should have been prosecuted instead he was left out on the street again where he did exactly the same thing and this time he killed somebody but generally speaking when it's the spate of crime at retail establishments that we watch on a loop or when it's the murder rate that you referenced exceeding 500 in philadelphia can you similarly draw a causal connection between progressive prosecutors and those spites in crime um absolutely and and make that argument 
sure. Well, you, about the the sort of shoplifting, those sort of lower level. Yeah. Why, why is it Chesa Boudin's fault necessarily that you see what you see in San Francisco? Well, I think you know on the straightforward level, not uh, having it clear that these cases will not be prosecuted. Um, uh, sends a signal to criminals that it's okay to shoplift. Um, and what and it builds up this sort of um, black market infrastructure where it becomes teams of criminals shoplifting together with the goal of then fencing those stolen goods, because that's usually what happens. It's not a poor mother who needs toothpaste for her kid, you know, um, fencing those goods. And it's part of much larger narcotics rings in in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, which leads to a, a larger kind of sense of disorder and a higher level of other kinds of crimes, many of which are also not being prosecuted. Um, and as I said, you know, the police become more and more uh, demoralized with the lack of prosecution for these crimes. And there's a lot of political pressure not to be making arrests for narcotics-related crimes. Um, and uh, so... So there's a lot of different reasons why maybe it seems innocuous not to be prosecuting um, shoplifting, but it it builds up um, in terms of the level of crime. And of course, you don't see other you don't see other factors at play, namely the pandemic. uh, You know, we've had other we've had financial downturns in the last 20 years, significant ones where we didn't see this kind of rise in crime. Um, and, and, you know, just look at the level of organization um, in, and sophistication and a lot of the looting. This isn't because people are, you know, trying to uh, because of any factor that, that clearly relates to the pandemic. Is the pandemic a factor in a lot of different things happening right now? Yes. But I think the question more importantly is are, progress, are prosecutors doing all they can to combat the crime, not are they the only factor in its rise. Um, and, and something else that I'd like to, that, you, that you touched on, which is how did um, Latif Williams in Philadelphia basically practice the crime over the summer of uh, gunpoint carjacking um, that he then uh, allegedly committed the other week, killing Sam, Samuel Collington? How, how is it that the DA did let him out? And I, I think it points to another significant metric that, you know, doesn't come to people's minds about prosecutors, which is what is the level of turnover in these prosecutors' offices where there's a progressive prosecutor? And it's incredibly high, like um, Kim Gardner, St. Louis, over oh, yeah. 100% turnover. And, and you lose the kind of seasoned prosecutors that you need in order to carry on sophisticated cases like murder and rape and domestic violence. And it's, Here's- you know, as... You're reminding me of something, I, and I, I just have to, to say this quickly before we part company. <clears throat> John Timoney was a friend of mine. John Timoney was the number two in New York. I think that was on Ray Kelly's watch. He was the number one in Philadelphia. He was also the Miami police chief. And I remember Chief Timoney explaining to me, and there was a study that he published when he was the police chief. We actually call them commissioner in Philadelphia, pointing out that I'm going to paint with a very broad stroke, Hannah, that there are 5,000 bad guys. And yeah, they are guys. There are 5,000 bad guys, and they are the ones driving all of the metrics in crime. And if you let them out on the street, then bad things are going to happen. And if you keep them locked up, then we're all going to be a hell of a lot safer. Now, I know that some will hear that and they'll say, oh, that's a horrible thought process. 
uh, mass incarceration stems from thoughts like that. But he had the data to back it up. And and I I think that's what gave rise to CompStat. Anyway, take my final Mm -hmm. 20 seconds and tell me what you most wanted to say. What I most wanted to say, I think people need to be more focused on this issue. I think there's been a, um, a, a move away from focusing on the victims of crime and in our rush to admirably be compassionate toward criminals. Um, but we've we've lost sight that that crime always has victims. And whether it is the people who the elderly in San Francisco who can't walk down the block and get their prescription filled, um, because all the Walgreens have closed, or whether it's the disproportionately large um, percentage of shooting victims who are poor and black in America because homicides went up 30% last year, um, that when you're, choosing a, when you're choosing and supporting a prosecutor or policing policies, that um, these things matter for public safety, and public safety matters for all of us. Hannah Myers. Director of the Policing and Public Safety Initiative at the Manhattan Institute. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Glad we were able to have this chat. Thank you so much, Michael. The Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Great. 